some of the beliefs that we've been taught is that these are the only systems that we can survive in. And what I'm seeing now is as some of these big name places are, are closing down or restaurants that have been horrible to people that like dishwashers, especially they're closing down. And yes, the dishwashers are right now out of a job, but I'm also seeing a whole new group of people who've been waiting for things to change so that they can go in and do something different. And they're gonna be hiring. So um, today is day. Okay, today is Tuesday, September twenty fourth, two thousand twenty, um, and we are here for another episode of the Corona Diaries on the One World Your Story podcast. And today I am joined by Diane Chang, um, the what should we say, owner, founder of Eating Popos, correct? Yes, that is what I. I you know I have so many. Um, I have so many like AKAs. I'm like, oh, I'm also, I also write and I also, I do cook and I, I do this. Now I make collages. <laughs> I have no idea anymore, but I would say, yes, I'm the owner of Eating Popos. Okay. Owner of Eating Popos and clearly a myriad of other things. I mean, <laughs> if there was a way that you would introduce yourself, how would it be? Um, oh, great question. I would say that I'm Diane Chang and I'm a cook and writer. A cook and writer. Okay. I love it. Um, and you are in New York City currently, right? Yeah. I live in Brooklyn. Living in Brooklyn. Okay. And how old are you, by the way, Diane? Uh, 35, turning 36, three days after the election. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm hoping, I'm wishing you a good birthday present. Hopefully. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm guessing based on what I saw with you posting about Breonna Taylor and how you spelled America. I saw one of your posts with the three K's. I'm assuming that you want the guy that's currently in the, in the sea of presidency out of here as bad as I do, but we won't go down that road. Right. Maybe. Yes. I don't know. Maybe, Maybe. It, 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 it feels inevitable these days, but definitely I'm hoping for, I know what president and president I would want for my birthday. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah. Oh, we'll see what happens. Okay. And by the way, I ask your age, not because it's really that relevant or important to me, but it is relevant as far as the coronavirus goes, maybe at this yeah. point. <laughs> right. um, so that's why I asked that. And by the way, you're in Brooklyn. Who are you living with? I live with my boyfriend um, who is working in the other room and he thinks I'm famous because I'm like, someone really cool is going to interview me. <laughs> He's like, you're famous. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm not. I just know Harry. <laughs> I love that. Cause I know Harry. <laughs> it's so funny. Cause I'm like, oh, you're probably more famous than I am. Um, but Hey, you never know what will happen. Okay. So you're living with your boyfriend. Do you have any pets or animals, anything like that? No pets or animals. Um, yeah, I mean, our so our landlords who live downstairs, they have two dogs, and that's enough pet for this apartment building. Like, <laughs> we're two families, and it's like you covered the animal, you know, uh, base. So totally, 
I hear you on that. Okay, cool. So kind of have the scope of where you're at and a little bit about who you are. Um, one other thing that I think is really important to just talk about right off the bat is kind of why you and I got connected. You mentioned Harry. Um, for anybody who is new to listening to the podcast, um, Harry is actually the one working in the background, doing all of the editing, sound producing, and putting it out, my business partner. Um, and he's a connection between myself and Diane. And he really wanted you to come on and chat with us because of the restaurant that you were opening in Mexico City. <clears throat> Yeah. <laughs> Were you in Mexico City at the start of, like, have you been in New York throughout this entire pandemic? Were you in Mexico? Uh, the funny thing is the pandemic, so we all knew that the pandemic was happening when it escalated in Asia, right? And so at that point, like around December, I was in Mexico. I moved there in November with the intention of, um, I was hired by uh, people I know in Mexico City who were opening another restaurant, and this time they wanted to work with um, a chef who had an Asian food background and specifically Chinese food. And so that's how I got connected to Mexico City. But I was, you know, pretty much living there at that point, um, one foot still back in Brooklyn with the apartment. Because as you probably can imagine, like apartments in New York, it's like dealing with subletting and all that is is complicated so my boyfriend was still here um kind of wrapping up his work like he was planning on quitting his job and moving to mexico to be with me in april so april this year oh man so um so a lot of things happened obviously but i was in mexico city in march and then you know i started seeing on in, uh, instagram and social media and just talking to friends people are starting to panic and the news was, you know, obviously um, starting to report on the the level of, of infection rates, the infection rates that were happening in New York. I started thinking maybe like 10 steps ahead, like not so much, am I going to catch it? Am I going to pass it? Maybe I should have thought that, but more like if something were to escalate to the point of the borders being closed between Mexico and, and the US, I want to be closer to my family. And so I flew back. I did also wear like eight layers of protective gear because I'm, I'm, I'm scientific that way. <laughs> like I was like, yep, I'm not gonna risk it. Um, and bought my first uh, like business class flight ever, which was not expensive for, you know, because I was like, oh, I'm just gonna like sit away from people. But I flew back to New York March 19th. Okay. March 19th was like pretty much right when things got, I mean, things were already real in New York at that time, actually. Yeah. I can say that. Yeah. And I know this because March 17th, I think was like St. Patty's Day. And that was actually like right when I, I think that might've been like the first day I ever did the Corona Diaries. Um, okay. Wow. And I think that Denver like had shut down and the week before that it was like, whoa, all my travel got canceled. So you were traveling at that time. I mean, New York was becoming the epicenter of the pandemic right at that time, more right. or less. My team in, in Mexico was sort of bewildered by the fact that I was flying to the epicenter because at that point, the whole world knew that, you know, we had an extensive, you know, just like 
the infection rates were being reported, the hospitals were being overwhelmed. But my biggest concern was really my family and being like, okay, I want to be able to get to them if something, because at the time we also didn't know anything about the virus really and how, how it would behave in the U.S. Right. Um, it was really crazy. I don't know about you, but I felt like there was a moment where it, everything felt normal. And then suddenly you're like, oh, there's this thing that's happening. And then the next day it's like everything changed. It was crazy. I did. I mean, it was like a year of things happened in a week's period of time. I mean, every day so much. Yeah, yeah. And you're right. It was normal, normal. And then boom, it was like, nope, this is not, not happening. I mean, okay. So I get that. You wanted to be close to your family. I totally understand. I mean, I had been a nomad for three and a half years before all of this happened. Oh, wow. And one of the main reasons why I stayed and I'm still here is because of my family. Um, so I get that. Even though not all of us live in Colorado, it's like, I haven't seen my dad this whole time. He's in Connecticut. So I don't know. I say that, but something about being here feels closer. I know really it's, it's that. Cause I haven't seen, it's not like I've flown back to Los Angeles where my parents are. It's just knowing that there's a way there that would feel like there's no border. Right. You know, the way like I wouldn't have to deal with proof of citizenship and all the things that I'm privileged enough to not have to deal with totally being a citizen in the U S you know? And, um, yeah, I just like, you know, you just like play out all these crazy scenarios and then, of course. So the, the ironic thing is Mexico is like one of the, what, 10 countries or something that we can still go to. I mean, the whole world's pretty much closed off to us right now. Aside from Turkey and Mexico and a couple. That is ironic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So let's go back to this restaurant though. I mean, so you moved to Mexico city in November, which by the way, they have, like, it's one of my favorite cities in the world. Mexico is yeah. one of my favorite countries, if not the favorite, um, moved there in November. Yeah. You mentioned, Oh, we all knew about this back in December, what was happening in China. Not true. There were plenty of people that literally didn't. And I mean, in the U S that didn't know right. about this until March. Um, sure. but the reality is it started in November in China. Um, right when you happen to move to Mexico city. And I know that like you, uh, you grew up in right outside of LA, uh, but your family originally comes from China. Um, your grandmother. (laughs) Um, yes. Do you have any connections in China? Like, why did you know about it so early on? Um, my, so my parents are from Taiwan and they were, Hmm we're like two generations removed from China. So we've been traveling there for vacation because we also don't know much about the country, you know, um, besides like what my grandmother would tell us. So we were actually in China on my mom and I on a trip in August of 2020. Okay. So let me, let me just preface by saying my mom got really sick when August 2019 you mean oh sorry yeah August 2019 okay and your mom got really sick yeah no August 2020 what's what's right now 2021 no oh my god no I'm like wait no you're in the future cognitive disassociation sorry 
Yeah. Wow, you had me going for oh a second. Oh my gosh, this is, a, I literally lost track of time. Okay. Time is weird. Right. Time is weird. That was, that was weird. Um, August 2019, <laughs> nothing before 2020 exists for me. Um, <laughs> August 2019, we were in China. Um, I took my mom on a trip to, long story short, um, to retrace our roots. Okay, so we were there for two weeks and she got sick with a lung infection while she was there. I'm not saying it was coronavirus. I have no idea. We don't know. But she had pneumonia-like symptoms. And luckily, my mom is like, you know, we, like it didn't escalate. But she was definitely very sick for the last few days and had like a looming cough for the next few weeks, like she went after she got back. So Where I, I guess- did you go, by the way? We were in Yunnan, so we weren't close to where the outbreak was, but I guess I wanted to point that out because, you know, we know that technically it started in November, but sometimes I'm like, but when, like, I don't know. Right. And I think that, so like, for us, that would be, you know, um, I know we're going off track from your question, but like our relationship to China is the same relationship that most people have, which is like tourism. Sure, sure. How we knew about it so early in advance is my mom is, she lives in a pretty insular Chinese community um, in Los Angeles. So their relatives were getting COVID or under lockdown in China in November. So on Mm. the the WeChat world and line world, um, you know, those are the two main apps that they use, it was being circulated. So people in my hometown were already gearing up. Like they had their masks and gloves. They were not being like kind uh, irresponsible with travel. But you know, if you don't have that information, like my bosses in Mexico went to Jackson Hole like in February. They were flying in and out of the States and like my boss's girlfriend got pneumonia. And which not so so you know like and I actually got a little sick not from food but like I came down with something that was felt very serious but then it went away and it's like I look back now at that timeline and I'm just like so what was an a regular cold and what was potentially the beginning of the spread? It's questions that I still feel like people are asking like. What oh, I lost your video. There you are. I'm like, what actually is it? Do I have it? Did I not have it? I mean, God, there's still so many unknowns. But okay, so that makes sense. Okay, so preparing for it back in November, December, you knew about it. Did you ever feel apprehensive about going to Mexico then? No, because I am inherently ultra American in that I was just like, I feel like, um, I, I feel disassociation from the rest of the world in some ways. Like mm. I, as global as my, my own community is, or as much as I travel, it, it's this feeling of like, that can't happen here, you know? And I think that's just sort of inherent for a lot of us who, you know, grew up with the lap of luxury of not having things happen here, you know? And so it didn't seem that possible. And it's not just like living in like um, a developed country that you think that. I mean, I think a lot of my friends in other countries, it just doesn't seem that possible. 
Yeah, I was going to say, like, it definitely there's this, like, Americanness to that of, like, oh, we're safe. It's this little bubble. We're the best country, which I think a lot of that bubble has burst um, for a lot of people recently, which is a whole other story. Um, but, yeah, at the same time, it's like, I mean, I have friends in Italy, and even then it wasn't until it was, like, in your backyard that you yeah. really realize it, right? And that goes with a thousand things in life. That's not just with this pandemic. It's like, oh, so yeah. And I don't know if the, what kind of like part of the human condition that is. I, but. Think it's, I think it's survival. I mean, I think that if we were um, always leaning to like a feeling of danger, I mean, if our like, is it the is it the hypothalamus or whatever, or like the, I don't know what it's called, but it's like the part of your brain that the fight or flight, right? If we're, it's, if we're constantly on trauma trigger, we'd be living traumatically, you know, like it would not make any sense. I think we're conditioned. I mean, I think it's biological for us to only feel the danger when it's close and otherwise we can't self-preserve otherwise. I just said otherwise twice, but. <laughs> well, I mean, geez, what an interesting thing you're talking about because I feel like for the last, I don't know, let's say since April 1st, okay, maybe even mid-March. Yeah. I feel like in a way we have been living in that kind of state. Yeah. And it's weird. And the impact of that is crazy. And yeah, we are all going through some sort of weird trauma. Um, speaking of which, like I want to redirect it back to this restaurant that you were opening and all of that excitingness sounds like from my understanding, that's totally off the table at this point. Right. Well, I just found out yesterday that they hired a new chef to um, kind of like open a new restaurant in the space. So ultimately it was the space that really drew me to wanting to work there. Cause I had like my, I had my own business um, last year, like for three years and it was, doing well you know I didn't have any plans to live somewhere else but this opportunity came up I went to visit I did like a tasting for the, the my boss and investors and whatever and I saw this space and I felt very spiritually connected to the space like I just mm. fell in love with it and it felt right but anyway so like yeah we were three weeks away from opening from our friends and family meal and the here's the bizarre thing is that I was really bogged down. Like I was working like 16 hour days every day because we're building a restaurant and there was a timeline. Like they wanted it open by first week of April. And, but, but the weird thing is I'm usually so organized with like just stuff. And I just wasn't, I hadn't purchased any of the, the ceramics, the plates. I didn't hire, we didn't hire kicking myself because I'm like, why am I delaying this? This is critical, mission critical for us to open. I don't know. It turned out to like be a good thing, you know, otherwise we would have been, Dang. right? What would have been a waste? I mean, I, hey, I think it all happens as it's supposed to. And clearly there was something in your gut that kind of was like, this isn't right or we don't need to do no. that. Yeah, I that's so I'm trying to look at the upside like of that which is like I guess I could also be like sort of very depressed that this dream thing I had just didn't work out but I'm not to be honest like I've had low key depression this whole time but not like but not about the restaurant like well what about I think just the state of 
what um, the U.S. is currently, you know, in and, you know, just sort of um, not knowing what's next and not being able to plan for what's next. I, like what you were saying, this constant feeling of trauma, which <clears throat> I think is like um, ultimately unhealthy, you know, like, but you can't ignore it <laughs> like it's just like it, it, it's just part of our existence now and that's what I'm like low-key depressed about I think everything else like the restaurant I've really just sort of taken a Buddhist approach to it which is like just it just happened that's just mm. in this way and what about like I got a chance to live in Mexico for a little I made really awesome friends like the cooks I hired I'm still in touch with and I'm actually returning in November Cool. Um, to stay there until March because I left all my stuff there. So I'm going to go grab my things. And I had hoped that's that like the same timeline again, November to March. The same I know. Wait. <laughs> I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. Oh, I didn't even realize that. Um, I, I wasn't sure if the restaurant was just like vacant. So I was curious, like, before, while I was making these plans to go, like, maybe there's something there and like, should I go explore that? And then that sort of got answered for me. So mm -hmm. now I can go do something else and just, I don't know. I just need to see what could happen there again, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm excited you're going back. Um, not that I'm promoting traveling during a pandemic. Mind say it you. again. I said, not that I'm promoting traveling. This is not a vacation. This is purely like all my things are there. So, mm. so is your boyfriend going with you this time? He is because financially we can't like I was, you know, I was being paid when I was there and we can't pay for our apartment here and have a place to live. Like I would have to pay for two places. So we had to sublet our place. Okay. So your place is being subletted while you're gone and you know, you get it back in March. Yeah. Okay. I, and by the way, I'm sorry about the restaurant. I really appreciate the Buddhist approach, though. It kind of reminds me of, I spent about six weeks in Nepal in 2016, and I remember seeing these crazy mandala sand, I want to call them paintings, but sand artistry that yeah. you spent, they spent months, you know, doing, and it's meticulous and beautiful, and then it's done, and phew, they wipe it all away. I've seen, I've seen that, and I've always um not understood you know like that lack or just the ability to not feel attachment yeah to um you know things in our present day world you know and I think I'm starting to understand that feeling I think a lot of people are because I think everything that has happened is like everyone's had to feel some kind of a loss on varying degrees mm. and you kind of like either have to like wallow or you have to move on and try to figure out what you were supposed to learn from that or just like move on, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, speaking of letting go of attachment and all this, I mean, we just entered fall, right? In the fall equinox and yep. fall is all about kind of like the last season, things die and we let go and then there's a rebirth. And I mean, geez, if we need that, now is the time more than ever, I think. Um, so... <laughs> I feel like I could sit here and say, I'm sorry about the restaurant. And it sounds like you've let go of that and kind of moved on. And I'm excited to see what's next for you. Um, 
And I, I mean, I kind of, this is a weird question and um, it, it definitely has to do with coronavirus. And I also think it's really relevant and important to talk about as it relates to race and racism in America right now. Yeah. And you, you know, have been cooking Szechuan food, right? Chinese food. Um, yeah. And that's part of why you got asked to work in this restaurant. And there was a whole thing at the beginning, and I don't know how it was in New York. Obviously, you weren't there. But people were not going to Chinese restaurants, literally, yeah. because of there's called like the Chinese virus. And I'm just curious, as a Chinese American, as somebody who works in cooking that kind of food, how does that feel? Like anything you want to say about that topic? Wow. Um, you know... I didn't, to be honest, I didn't experience a lot of that in Mexico. I think that culturally, the, at least where the people I, I was around, you know, I think that there is a certain understanding. I don't know how to describe it. It's just like the types of rumors that get circulated in Mexico are very much unrelated to American racism. You know, they have their own problems and their own beliefs. So this idea that like it came from China and it, it being like, a, like, um, you know, that Chinese food was somehow associated with that. It's like they had swine flu that killed a ton of people, you know, in Mexico a couple of years ago. And they've been through so much. Like that's the other thing is like so many other places have been through so much. In some ways it makes them more resilient mentally and not even in a jaded way, but that they they understand that this is like life and that you just have to like get through it and then move, move forward. So I didn't feel any kind of way, but when I did get back here and it's not even about the restaurant, it's like how Chinese people, especially the elderly have been treated. Um, comments that have been made, you know, reported or unreported. I feel bad. And I, and I, but I like, I wish like I was there in those moments and I'm very outspoken and I wish I could have said something or done something about it, but you know, it hasn't happened to me yet. So yeah, but I always want to hear stories like that. I'm just like, come at me. I was like, come at me, you know, but yeah, it's disappointing. <laughs> what would you say out of curiosity? I would just try to logically explain to them I, that that has nothing to do with, you know, I don't know if logic works on a lot of people these days, but I don't know, actually. I think it depends on how they come at me. Like, if they're coming from a place of curiosity, like, hey, like, um, I don't know, did you bring the virus with you? Or, you know, weird questions like that. I would explain, like, I'm from here. It's that actually happens a lot. It's like people ask you questions about some other place that you don't even have association with. Like this is just my because they assume, oh, you wear this or you look like that. You're going to know this. Like, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't really know. <laughs> but if it was like, uh, if someone were to have, I disrespectfully insulted me or I don't know, I think I would have re reacted in a manner that wasn't, that isn't great. And I, I do think that that is also what we're seeing what's happening with discussions of race period. You know, I think that everyone's just on edge and feeling defensive and ob for obvious reasons and self-protecting and yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, it's, um, 
it's a really wild and interesting time. And it's, yeah, I'm like, ah, do I want to open that can of worms about race and racism? It kind of is half open now, but let's go down a different route. And by the way, I appreciate, I mean, one thing that you just said that I feel like I have to own is me asking you that question is also just assuming, oh, maybe you've experienced that or heard about that. And that's not fair either. Um, so I have to own that too. And anyway, um, okay, I'm going to switch gears slightly because I'm. it's weird. Like one of the things that this virus and the pandemic has done is shaken industries that I think people thought were unshakable. Mm-hmm. Travel industry, for example, airlines. I mean, cruise ships, right? Hotels, all oh of this stuff. God, but the food industry, I mean, and talk about how many jobs it provides and all of this stuff. And I mean, think about one of the reasons why I think things have been like, kind of okay, kind of okay, is because the weather's been nice. So we can sit outdoors and restaurants have been able to be open and sure takeout has gone through the roof, but what about servers, bartenders? And anyway, as a chef, I know, I know you've done a lot of it's, I, what I'm assuming is more private chefing than working in restaurants. Yeah. Um, what do you, what's your perspective on the food and dining industry and what's going to happen and how do you feel? Well, you know, <clears throat> I think it's an interesting way to look at it, which is that like that they're being rocked by the virus right now, you know, or the other side of it, which is what I always saw and which is why I didn't work in the restaurant industry or I left it. Like I, I did work at kitchens. I was on the line, but why I left it was, um, because I don't, it was never an okay industry like that. We know now, right? Like just because people are employed, I guess it doesn't mean that it's, it's a positive experience. I think like it's harder to to um, separate that when people need to meet their most basic requirements of rent and food and childcare, whatever, right? That money provides. But it's also important to remember, I think, even for me, as I continue looking to advance or grow, that I can't also just accept that, you know, like accept what I am given because that's all that there is to be given. And I think that's what happened in the restaurant industry for so long. Everyone, I mean, my working line job was like, I would need $12 an hour. And I had a very abusive chef who was sexist and racist. I left after six months because I'm just not that person. But my like my privilege was that I um, had a whole copywriting career that I came from. So I had worked in offices. I made a certain amount of money. I, I sort of knew I had a backup job I could have gone back to. So that's why I felt okay with being like, no, I'm not going to take this. The real problem is that so many cooks and you know servers are at the mercy of their employer and are at the mercy of their industry. So I went from feeling sad about restaurants closing and like sad about all the people that were going to be affected, including owners to kind of feeling like some of these places, institutions 
have to close, you know, like you can't, it's like the mandala that you were talking about. It's like, you can't create something new without being okay with like getting rid of what was there. And it, it doesn't have to be that dramatic, but it definitely has to like, it, it needs, something needs to happen. And well, I mean, you're bringing up some interesting things. I mean, I was a bartender and server for, I don't know, six, seven years in Boston. You know. Um, oh, yeah. And I mean, anybody that's, wor- Harry knows, anybody that's worked in yeah. the Kayla and I used to talk about this all the time. Things are not good. I mean, but we can say this in a lot of industries, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this stuff is coming out. And that's a whole other can of where, I mean, the reality is like, Things have not been good in this country, period. And so much of that has been unearthed because of this pandemic. It doesn't make it easy or okay or like, eh, okay is not the right word. It doesn't make it easy, I should say. And I don't know that like what you're talking about isn't necessarily the reason that it's all this is happening. And is the pandemic going to fix all of that stuff? I mean, I don't know that people are focused on that. I think that people are focused on well, what about my career? What about money? Like, oh, I've poured my whole life into this. And and a lot of the people in the restaurant industry, don't get me wrong, a lot of people have gone to college and do have a backup plan, but a lot of people don't. So what right. do you do then, right? That's a good, I mean, I think that to segue from what you're saying, I think not fully, but I think that we also have to, and this is like the approach I'm taking now, which is like, there are also lots of people who have not had the opportunity to do anything before, right? And that they now have an opportunity to create something. Because I do think people are resilient. I mean, like my parents were undocumented immigrants for almost like 25 years um, from the time they got here. So they never had employment on the books. And obviously they're not like, you know, they're, they're Asian. So they don't deal with the same kind of this, this, uh, discriminatory, like hiring processes, but like, they've always been operating it under like, like my dad is still, you know, he's an electrician and he's always been one and they've managed to make things work. And we were super poor growing up. And I'm not saying that like, we shouldn't care about people because people should survive on their own. I guess what I'm saying is like, we also, it's like some of the beliefs that we've been taught is that these are the only systems that we can survive in. And what I'm seeing now is as some of these big name places are are closing down or restaurants that have been horrible to people that like dishwashers, especially they're closing down. And yes, the dishwashers are right now out of a job, but I'm also seeing a whole new group of people who've been waiting for things to change so that they can go in and do something different and they're going to be hiring or maybe the dishwasher. I don't know like what that, that communities look like, but that's where community becomes super important. So I guess like the reason why I do feel like a slight bit of optimism around it is I've been less involved in the morning and more involved in community work um, online, offline, whatever. And that's been giving me hope because there are community leaders and people doing this kind of work, like all the time that we don't know about. And I never knew about, cause I didn't care before. I mean, I hate to be mean. I was empathetic, but I was like just busy building my career, you know, and what works for me. And now I'm like, Oh shit. 
that's that's where a lot of the work needs to be done you know like I love all of that that you're saying I love it and I mean one of the things that I always talk about and ask which I'm gonna ask is you know it's a it's a weird conundrum, right? Because in the most trying times is when we have to figure it out and when the human spirit, I think, ends up shining the most, which is exactly what you're talking about. Because when we're comfortable, it's like, ah, oh, I can sit back. I don't have to get creative and figure it out. So, and this is, I'm glad that you brought this all up because I do want to flip it back to you, Diane, because it's about you and your experience. Like after you came back in March, what did you get up to? I mean, all of a sudden you were working on this restaurant. You say, now you're doing this community work. I want, what have you been doing with eating popos? I see these beautiful cakes you're still making on your Instagram. Tell me, what have you been up to? Have you occupied your time? I've been up to a whole lot of nothing and a whole lot of everything, you know, like, <laughs> there are some really hard days, you know, like where I didn't know what to do. I mean, if our lives are revolved around work forever, you know, it's like, yeah, it's going to be hard to come back to nothing, you know, like, like when I say nothing, I don't mean like, oh, I don't have like family or a home or whatever, but it's like nothing as in all the things we defined as like success. And it was like, it was definitely um, an interesting experience rediscovering all of, I, I think you brought up a good point is sometimes like, you're you have to be like on the edge of falling off a cliff to know like what you need to do to stay on the cliff you know and I think that um some of the things I've done really is like okay so I'm not tied to a job so um what can I do to like lower my cost of living so that I can take some time to like figure out you know, what works for me. And so it's like shifting your philosophy on like the things that make you happy, you know, like shopping, what, like, doesn't matter, like to, for me, like anymore at all. Um, cooking at home has become very normal, you know, um, exercising has become very, sometimes harder, but you know, like I'm starting to use the free outdoor space, but also like, you know, doing the things that, that I'm not making like a ton of money on, but that ultimately are joyful while I, I have a lot of like financial burdens related to my family. So I am looking for like a full-time job temporarily um, to like help out my family. But at the same time, like, you know, crafts, connecting with friends, um, something I got really into is I'm working with this community garden that is like in East New York and they have this like amazing CSA program where they deliver food to elders in the area. It's a, it's a lower income neighborhood and um, they don't, it's like a food desert, but they deliver food to the elderly that people like good Samaritans per, help purchase. It's $15 a week. It's not even that much for a lot of people. And then I help with the deliveries. So it's like I'll fundraise for them, but but also because we have the luxury of having a car, so we can. I mean, that's the thing. It's like there's so many easy, low effort things that make a huge difference, and I think that if oh, I lost you. Okay, you said there are so many low effort things we can do. There's so many low effort things we can do that actually help people. Oh, weird. Is it me again? Yeah, but you're good. Keep going. Um, yeah, like I think a lot of that stuff feels 
so hard for even I know from experience, it's like taking time out to do something that's not completely self-serving. It's kind of hard, you know, especially if everything we've done is to advance ourselves. And I'm not preaching because I don't do that. And I don't like it when people do that to me because we all have different functionalities as human beings. But I do think that sometimes like what's the most low effort thing you can do that's not like totally for yourself. And the, the selfish part is you get so much more out of it than you're actually giving. Like, really. And I just have to say, like, that is, if that's the only way to sell to people to be involved somehow, like, even, like, voting and stuff, the way that some people communicated, like, okay, we know you're, you don't agree with, you know, the two um, options we have in the current government but vote for the people who can't, you know, like even that perspective is so important because it's like, oh yeah, like you can do that, you know? Yeah. I I mean, it's, I'm so glad that you said at the end, it it is the best gift we can give ourselves because it's like, okay, find something that isn't self-serving. But at the end of the day, I mean, cause it's all about love and that's the best thing. And when you give it, it comes right back and God, there's so many people and so many different ways we can show up. Um, oh my like God. And I have been down this path of like internal battling. Like it does not come easy for me. Like volunteer work has always been like, it is, it, it's, it feels like so much effort because of like the way it's, and volunteerism, volunteerism I think has bad PR. You know, like uh-huh. people talk about it. It just, you're like, oh, it's like a whole career I have to embark on, you know, but it's not even like, you don't even have to do that kind of thing. It's like simply reaching out to a friend who's going through a hard time or whatever, you know, like little things like that, that we don't really, um, yeah, I just try to tell people, I'm like, this doesn't come naturally for me. Like mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm empathetic, but I'm not like, like philanthropist vibes, but this whole experience has completely shifted my approach in life. And for that reason, I'm not happy about Corona, but like, I don't know, it was necessary. Yeah. I mean, it's like I said, I always ask what good has come out of this because in the darkest times, it's when light shines the brightest. And so I I love the thread throughout this of the positive things that have come from this for you and your community and what you're seeing around it. I mean, I think that it's really easy to just focus on all the bad things. Um, And once you start focusing on the good things, that can become easy too. And it's so important because how else are we going to get ourselves through this? So thank you for like constantly bringing it back to that. Thank you for saying I, the only reason why I've even come to this conclusion is that, you know, not again, like I'm not trying to get back into the race thing constantly. Wait, sorry. The water's running. Do you hear that in the background? Okay. So um, not trying to get back into the race thing, but when you think about, um, and this is something I think about a lot. It's like what, especially the black community goes through like on a day to day and have been gone, have been going through. And then they are still functioning in our society you're like, oh, you know, it's like, 
what am I to come, not to say that we can't all have issues and problems and we're all always measuring with the worst circumstance, but it is important to have perspective and like, yeah, we're not going to deny the fact that 200,000 people have died from the coronavirus and that it is also a huge man-made, you know, um, issue, but it's also, this is not going to be the last virus we're going to have. And like the elections we're going to have now, Donald Trump is not the last um, like fascist, like terrible person that might run our country. And he's not the first, you know? I mean, what is this? How is the saying go? History repeats itself. I don't know. I mean, come yeah. on. It's, it's a constant. And I've been like so interested in a lot of like Eastern religion because of this, because of the, uh, like, it's born out of uh, circumstances where people don't have the ability to, to climb out of their physical um, state. You know, it's like, you're born in, think about in India, you're born in your caste system. You don't have any opportunity to move up or out. So what are you going to do? Resign to the fact that you're just going to be, maybe they're not miserable. I don't know. I'm not going to, I'm not going to like force my, my Western thinking onto a totally different culture. Right. But it's almost like insulting to, to pity and to assume that, that someone else is doing something the wrong way. And that our way of like constantly, constantly climbing, climbing, climbing is like the right way. And then when some bad shit happens, sorry, um, something bad happens, you're like going to be so depressed about it. And it's like, yeah, we're allowed to feel bad, but we also have to continue. That's well, how I think that we so often look, especially in the Western world at our circumstances to define our happiness. Um, but it's, it's actually quite the opposite way, which is what I think that you're hitting on. Exactly. It's up to us. We get to choose our attitude. We don't get to choose what happens to us. So yeah. Now, um, okay. I'm looking at all these questions that I was supposed to ask you and I'm looking at the time and like, oh my gosh, but this has been truly, truly amazing. Um, I'm really curious. One other question I want to ask you about your specific experience before I move into some questions that I ask everybody. Um, what has it been like now? I know you're, you're from LA. How long have you lived in New York? I've lived in New York for Oh yeah. Almost 11 years. Okay. So that's yeah. a good chunk of time. Do you see yourself staying in New York? Do you, and I say that because so many people I've taught, it's like the draw of New York and Brooklyn is like about going out. And the, I mean, come on, talk about the food industry and food scene. I mean, yeah. huge and, um, but it's expensive. It's really expensive. Really expensive. <laughs> and my, Harry, you know, and Kayla are now in upstate. And I feel like so many people are shooting up there. What does it feel like to be in Brooklyn? Do you want to stay there? Um, do you really see yourself coming back? And, and yeah, how do you feel about just being a chef in New York? I, um, you know, at first I also felt this, this re like draw of, another place I think it's escapism you're just like I feel stuck here you know like I'm stuck now you know but I think again it, it's all perspective shifting like if I don't really think about 
moving anywhere else um, at the moment. Like I'm pretty fine here. Like I'm able to make it work. You know, I'm still, I have a million gigs. Like I'm doing small gigs, you know, I'm pretty happy for the most part with my personal self. Like I'm not like in a bad place. And I think that's why I'm able to put more effort and time into other things and other people. But at the same time, I would say that like, again, like who knows, you know, it's like, if something happens in our personal lives or, you know, um, around us and we are required or we might have to pivot and leave that it's not, I'm not like stuck to one place either. So I'm just kind of like going with the flow. I hear that. And I mean, Hey, you really aren't, you're going to be in Mexico in a couple months. So that, you know, that came up because I, I needed to get myself and a friend who's not, she, she has a place there. She's from there. She's like, I'm not going to be at my place. She's going to be somewhere else in Mexico for these months. Okay. That's why I'm like, Oh, well then yeah, cool. So it worked out. Um, but that's like, you know, my parents have, you know, I think especially if you're an immigrant in the States, a lot of people here have had to leave their homes for whatever reason. So my family has immigrated so often that it's like not weird to me to also, sometimes you have to leave and then sometimes you stay. What an interesting perspective on it. I mean, I am my father's first generation American. My aunt was born in Russia. Um, we're, I'm the, you know, grandchild of Holocaust survivors, um, from Poland. And it's like, yeah, I hear that, but I feel removed from that, even though that happened pretty like like, close in proximity to my generation. But I don't know. It feels really far removed. I don't know. I mean, that's a, you know, you have also have a totally different perspective because it sounds like your family had to relocate for, I mean, serious like survival survival reasons sure. as you do. And again, it's like, what is the human nature? Um, the like the natural instinct for survival, what does that push us to do? I'm sometimes we won't know until we get pushed there. You know? Well that's what we were talking about in the very beginning. Not until it's yeah. in your own backyard. Yeah. So a lot of the I'm not mad at the folks who like decided to leave New York or they're like, Oh, I gotta go to California, which like happens a lot <laughs> these days to the wildfires. <laughs> yeah, my goodness. It's a whole other conversation. Totally. But you know, it's like it's whatever helps them get through their lives, you know, like no judgment there, I guess. And there's no silver bullet. Everybody's no. on their own unique path and unique journey. I guess there is something in me knowing that, like, hey, if they survived. Through yes. all that stuff, like we got this too. It's kind of what you were saying along the way. What you just said is how I try to think about it. Like the fact that your father and your aunt and your grandparents survived something as insane as the Holocaust and unbelievable. Like when, you, like the human brain can't. I can't even wrap my brain around some of the things that have happened to human beings in our, you know the previous lifetime and even in ours, you know, it's I like, was going to say currently. Yeah. And like, even that explosion that happened in Beirut, you know, you're just like, Oh my God, all these people who lost everything, lives, family members. I mean, then it's like, 
if these people are still continuing with their lives, it gives me so much hope that like I might be have even a modicum of their strength. Yeah. Just even a little bit I'm I'm happy with because that's a lot more than what seriously. Oh man, I'm like sitting here, you know, having whatever personal problems this week, and now I'm talking to you. I'm like, oh James, geez. At ah! the same time, for anybody yeah. that's listening, I do think that like it's really easy to compare our crap to somebody else and then be like, no, I don't have a right to feel the way that I do. It's not true. Yeah. Like we're all going through different things. Hard is hard, period, not harder. There's different layers. And I, at the same time, I do think it's important to put yourself in check a little bit. Um, it's not to diminish what we're going through, but it's to say like, okay, wait, there's a whole bigger picture out there too. Yes. You know? And Thank to give yourself strength. Yes. Thank you for saying, I was like, I don't want to tell people that like their mental health is not important, but like, I guess like the approach I have is very much like, um, do you know, like the term tiger mom? Mm-mm. Okay. So like, it's, it, it's a thing that they basically call a lot of like, um, well, it were it, it's applicable to a lot of like first generation immigrant mothers, you know, or American immigrant mothers, but like, Explicitly came out of this article that a Chinese professor wrote. She teaches at Yale, Chinese American professor, about how she rears her kids. And it's basically this like, it sounds like a heartless, unempathetic approach to raising their kids, where they, you know, demand a lot from the kids. And basically, you, you, you know, you don't ever pity yourself or feel bad, or you always have to get an A. You know, that whole like stereotype, right? So I think that. I was raised with a little bit of that type of attitude where it is not that it's unemotional. It, it's like, of course, like I go, I went to therapy. Like I believe in nurturing your own self and being a, like, you know what you said, but I also think that sometimes it's like too much of anything's a bad thing. And mm. self-pity is such an easy, I self-pity all the time, all the time. I'm talking like this, but there are like moments where I'm like, oh, like, oh, well, well, come on. It's easier said than done. We know this and we're our yeah. own worst enemies, but it doesn't mean that you can't be your own in- biggest inspiration as well. All yeah. of it exists. And All it's, it's okay. It. Yeah. And okay. I think that the only way, as things seem like they're getting worse, that's what a lot of people are saying. You know, they're like, oh my God, I can't believe 2020 is getting any worse than this. It's so easy for all of us to fall into nihilism and depression and, you know, like feeling imprisoned by this stuff. But I guess my point is that like, that's going to be our biggest enemy in the end, you know, like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like we said, we're not choosing what happens, but we get to choose our attitude towards it. So Okay, let me ask you a couple questions to round it out here that I ask everyone. And it's so weird because I remember when I started doing this in March and April and even in May, June, ask people, okay, Diane, if you could predict the future, when are we getting out of this? And so many people said wow. September. So many. <laughs> here we are, September 24th. Definitely not out of it. Nope. <laughs> if you could predict the future, when are we getting out of this? I don't, gosh, how did I say this? I feel like everything I say feels so like, controversial. Um, honestly, I don't think we are. Okay, like, 
I, I think it, and not like, I just think that we ha- are entering a new, a way of existing and that this is just kind of a chance, an opportunity for us to be better prepared for the future. I think it's like just a lesson, you know, like pandemics are, you know, it's as we're seeing with climate change and the science around it, it's not so much that pandemics exist or viruses exist. It's that the way that they spread, the way we approach them. Um, and it's like, I, I think we just have to, uh, gosh, I know I feel bad saying this because I feel like I wish it was more positive or something, but it isn't, doesn't have to be negative. I think it's like, we know now, like if this were to happen again, mask on, you know, like keep a little bit of the social distancing measures. We know economically what we have to do, hopefully, but also from a social standpoint, how to caretake for community. You know, that's a great lesson. This isn't the last time it's going to happen. No, and I, I mean, somebody said one time when I asked that, like, emotionally, mentally, I don't think we're ever getting out of this. Will we get... I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that I've been hearing recently a lot, like, oh, this isn't going to be the last pandemic. Um, is the vi- the virus is here? Will it ever go away? The flu's always here now. I mean, so we'll see. I don't know. I don't have a great answer to it either. I don't necessarily think you're wrong. And I don't necessarily think that's the worst thing. It's like, life just kind of is a little different now. I don't know. Um, the flu, the flu comparison, it's like, it, I agree with you because I'm not, I think that a lot of times it gets twisted into being like, this is as, you know, um, it, it's like less impactful because it's like the flu, but I'm like, no, it's very impactful because it's the first time we're experiencing it. Right. Like what was the flu like the modern day flu when the first human beings caught it? <laughs> you know? Right. Totally, 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 totally. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's a weird question. This one also feels weird asking now, um, but I got to. So um, I always like to know, you know, when we get out of this. So it's like, how do I even ask that? Because will we get out of it? But um, which country is the golden child? Who handled it the best? And who's who's the golden fuck up? Um. Wow. So many obvious answers. <laughs> Honestly, I think the golden child to me um, is Taiwan. And because of their proximity to the virus and the fact that it's like a jam-packed island of people, you would think that it would have been totally detrimental. But this is kind of related to the last question. They experienced SARS. You know, they've already had their chaotic, you know, um, spiraling of deaths and not having enough um, medical support. They've been there. What did they do now? They were better prepared. They knew how to act. People did not um, deny that this is real, you know? So it's kind of like default. By default, they came out of this, in my opinion, like the winner, not that there is one. Sure, sure. I get what you're saying, though. The the people I think who've done the least, um, I think U.S. is definitely. But I think again, this is because it's new. Uh, government was not is not uh, obviously, um, you know, that's a whole other 
podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't, you know, um, but also, you know, countries like Brazil um, and even Mexico, I think that by default also for some of the countries that rely heavily on tourism as their main means of, of uh, economic um, like thriving, like I don't think they want to believe that it's real because that would mean having to shut down like their main export, which is like, you know, like global, a globalized experience. So unfortunately, I think they're also um, in like, yeah, those three countries, I think. Yeah, the U.S., like I would say 99% of the people I ask say that Brazil has come up. I mean, and and then you think about government, too. I mean, the government is royally messed up there. And Mexico is not necessarily that great either. So, I mean, it just kind of things go hand in hand. But the difference, though, is that the U.S. is supposed to be like the number one country in the world. I mean, it's pretty wild and and rattling but what you just said i think that's okay fine u.s ranks number one because of what you just said because that we do have like our gdp like our you know healthcare, not like the um, availability of healthcare, but like the level of medicine and science that we perform in this country yes complete stark contrast to how everything was managed yeah, so, it's it's insanity. Undeniably bad, right? Yeah. And yeah. Here we are. Okay. We are. Now, now this is my favorite question to ask, and I've alluded to it a bunch. You've already brought up a bunch of things, but yeah, it's like in the darkness, the light shines the brightest because it has to. Um, so what positive things have you seen come out of this from friends, family, your community, the world, environment? Um, and you've definitely mentioned some, so don't feel like you need to repeat, but um, I always love to end on that because it's so easy to focus on the intensity of this. So yeah, what good are you seeing and what good do you think is going to come out of it? I also have to preface that um, I had the luxury of talking to you like six months in versus one month in. My perspective was like, I could only think of all the negatives. So like, it's not like I was, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm so zen. It's like, yeah, I've had the time to adapt also. Sure, and thanks for bringing that up. Just want to mention. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Um, I think the positive has been that is like, you know, it's tested our humanness. And I think that that is ultimately the crux of life, you know, is like nothing we read and nothing we uh, are taught through religion or whatever are necessarily going to be as impactful as, as our own experience. Mm. And so I think that that has greatly shifted a lot of people thinking better or worse, you know? And I think that there is no like good or bad as much as it is just like what we do to come out of where we are, you know? Like, I don't know how to say that without sounding cheesy, but I just feel that everyone's evolution, it's good ultimately like you know like 
we need to evolve. And even if you devolve, that is actually evolving as well. You know, it's like, even if you devolve by our standards, you have to end up in somewhere kind of bad to be able to like know what you need to do to, to get out of it. So I, I just, I hope though that it's at, not at the mercy of like, I just are no more lives lost, you know, unfortunately. That's the terrible part of it is like, I wish we could learn lessons without death, without violence. And I don't know if that's historically possible, you know? I mean, geez, that makes at least two of us because I'm with you. And and yeah, I don't know how else. And it's crazy that you say that. And and you brought up this like kind of remembering our humanness and 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 that's part of the journey is going through all of this. And I can hear like all the Buddhism and all of that coming out in you. But <laughs> and it's beautiful. It's like there's a, a big collective that I think was already in existence that hope, I hope has grown through this that I feel like has been calling in or wanting some sort of like big shift to bring us back to our roots of humanness, right? Love, connection, community, all of the things that have been brought up in this conversation. But to imagine like how could that happen on a global scale? How could we get this reminder or realization without massive violence or like total destruction? Like how? And yeah, lives have been lost in this, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not as bad as it could have been to get this same kind of reminder that you're talking about. Oh my God. So, you me, yeah, you blew my mind just with that. You're right. You're right. It really, like, hopefully what we get out of it was worth it. You know, like, not worth it, but like, you're right. It could have prevented us from something that would have been even more catastrophic that we can't even recover from as a world. Right. Like the, the thing that, you know, you brought up earlier is like, um, you like, how has it impacted like climate or the earth? Or I think you mentioned that. Yeah. 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 Of course. Yeah. You're right. Like we could also not have a planet to live on, you know, like there's that, you know, like that could happen. And we were, we're kind of on that trajectory. And then I'm also so fascinated by your experience though. If, can I ask you a question? Sure. How do you think, I know you said that you, you, you're not always like consciously, you know, tapping into your, um, I'm guessing your grandparents are the Holocaust survivors, right? You're not consciously always tapping into that, but do you feel like some of that experience has helped you accept or grasp or survive this, I guess, and maybe even in the future? Yeah, I mean, it's... it's it's a great question. I think that I know that somewhere in my like DNA and like my ancestry, like we're strong and can get through it and they're crafty and creative. I mean, my grandpa, grandparents, both of them, I mean, had like 20 bucks in their pocket when they got here and died a multimillionaire. So like can figure it out and you deal with anti-Semitism and thinking that like being told that you are like the worst people, you know, but knowing that we're not. Um, so there's that, right. That gives me strength. The other side of it that's super weird and messed up is like, I'm super grateful that they're not alive right now because yeah. the, like, I don't, I would hate for them to have to deal with something like this again to see the anti-Semitism, to see the repeat of so many of the things that happened 
and the like comparison to how our president is being and the things that he's saying and the fascism. And I mean, it's terrifying. Um, so it's like, on the one hand, it gives me strength. And on the one hand, it absolutely terrifies me because of what happened. And, and, you know, history repeats itself. And I'm praying to God that like, we have learned and that we're strong enough to not have that, things like that happen. But geez, weird i know it's like you can't help but you can't help but also wonder like have we seen the worst you know but but because every day feels like oh yeah actually no that's the worst okay no that's the worst and i i do think though that um this ties back to like what we were talking about earlier is like you were saying like just sort of i'm not i'm butchering your exact quote but it more or less has to do with just our attitude about it because no matter what the circumstance is not it's out of our hands it's not like we can shape it but you know there's also going to be moments where we can't and we can shape it based on how we choose to look at it you know it's like the only guarantee in life is that one day we're not going to be here literally everything else is out of our control not even that is in our control nothing is it's just the only thing that we know for sure I think everything else is up for chance. So what I was saying, and I think this is the quote you're referring to, is we don't get to choose what happens. We get to choose how we react and respond to it. Um, So it's the same thing. And I mean, I don't know. Is it going to get worse? Who knows? knows? Personally, I can't spend my time worrying about that. Yeah. And and you know what? I think that if we want to talk about the, like, going back to, like, what I think is the, a big plus, plus, (laughs) like, what was, like, a big. Positive. um, Positive is that now we have an opportunity to um, tap into the spiritual stuff that I think that um, in our culture is either like, like commodified, you know, or is like culty, but we, I don't think we talk about spirituality or it feels hippie for some people. We don't talk about spirituality or we don't feel spiritual. And if you don't have a lot else to really like hinge your hopes on or whatever I think it's important to think about like like spiritually like who you are who who's around you like the energy that is created because that's like you said that's all we really have control over and like I feel good that like this conversation we're having right now I have this conversation with my friends like we can't even have a meal or like get on the phone without it going into this like super existential thing and I think it's necessary because we don't do that it's necessary and it's beautiful it's that humanness that like you know because it's and this is an American perspective right it's the rat wheel especially you're in New York and it's you're on the east coast it's um competitive how much money you make Who'd you hang out with this weekend? What big party did you go to? What are you up to? What are you doing? Da, 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 da. Not who are you? How are you feeling? What's on your mind? What are you excited about? You know, what lights you up? And so the fact that we have been able to kind of shift and slow down and bring our humanity, it's beautiful. And I do think that has a potential to kind of recreate some of these systems or rethink the way that we're living. So to start there I mean something I learned when I was in Mexico that was really hard for me to adjust to was over chat like you know um, we'd be on whatsapp and you know here like you said I'd be like hey can I get the or like hey can we meet 
there it's like, hi, Diane, or hola, Diane, like, como estas? Like, how are you? And then pause. And yeah. then you're like, what do they want? You're just like, what do they want? But really, they're, they, it's, it's impolite to like go into any conversation without asking how someone is doing, you know? And really Even mean it. Yeah, really mean it. And like, and it, that pause was like really difficult for me because I was like, how do you, like, do, do they want a real answer? Like, I don't know. You know? But it's, it, it, yeah. No, um, I think it's beautiful. I, I mean, the Latin American culture, I just, I mean, we just, in, in American society, we just forget about the humanness so much. Um, so and it, you know, you go there and it's, you go to dinner and there's no, there's no agenda. It's like, we're going to hang out until we're done hanging out and relaxed and I know. family. And I love it. And it's so funny. You're bringing up the, how are you? I, one of the first interview or projects I ever started like seven years ago is kind of how this all launched was literally called the, how are you really project all designed uh-huh. around having that actually be a question rather than part of a greeting. So well, anyway, um, Diane, I love talking to you. You've been amazing. I want to respect your time. We're well over an hour at this point. Um, so I'm going to wrap up here. Cool. But maybe we'll have you back on in November once you get back to Mexico. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I just want to give you a chance. Is there anything else that you'd like to say on the record as of September 24th, 2020, living through the coronavirus as a chef and a writer? Um, I really appreciate you having me on. Um, I know we talked like, like over email a bunch to try to make this happen. And I am what honestly emotionally wasn't like, maybe not ultra like available, but also just like trying to sort out all this BS in my life, you know, but I feel very, I feel very fortunate to be in a place where I can have this conversation for an hour and a half with someone awesome. And, you know, it's like, like this is a little win for me personally. And I just want to take this energy to the polls and to other things in life. Oh my God. So, that is so much. No, thank you for saying that. It's like, you never know. I always get so much from these conversations. Um, and to know that it was a little win for you personally. And oh, it was a huge win. I, I appreciate it. Like you asked so many great questions, but you had so many insights to share. And I know I, I appreciate conversations these days. So I guess that's my t- September 24th thought. It could all change on September 25th. <laughs> or it can change in an hour. Who knows? Um, all right. Well, it was such a pleasure having you um, on today's episode. Diane, thank you so, so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the One World, Your Story podcast. If you enjoyed hearing this story and you wish to hear more, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes and YouTube. And of course, follow us on Instagram at One World, Your Story. From all of us here at the One World, Your Story podcast, we are sending you so much joy and love. Have a wonderful rest of your day.